Welcome to Level Up with Sherelle and Danny. We're here to help you take your health, fitness, and mindset to the next level. It's time to level up. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Level Up with Sherelle and Danny. Today we spoke about pregnancy and pelvic floor health with Sheridan Skye. Now, Sheridan is a mum of two and she is a pre and postnatal coach. She also works as a nurse in the ICU and they also have their own podcast called Barbells to Babies. This was an awesome episode. We spoke about the importance of pelvic floor health, training throughout pregnancy and nutritional considerations while breastfeeding. Not only that, we also went into the transition of mindset and goals throughout pregnancy and the importance of shifting that focus as well. It was such an incredible episode. Let's get into it. It's time to level up. Sheridan, thank you so much for coming on the Level Up podcast. Now, you are the first guest that we've had on to talk about all things pregnancy. So we're going to talk about pregnancy and training, nutrition, everything. And you're the expert on this. This episode has been in high demand for a very long time. Mm. Obviously, Sherelle being a midwife, she gets these questions all the time. Um, So it's been so cool to get you on and we're just so excited to have you here. Thank you for having me, guys. I'm chuffed that you thought of me and I'm really excited to have this conversation with you guys because Sherelle is a midwife and also your um, profession, Danny, as well. So I think you'll resonate with a lot of what we have to say. So hopefully it's helpful for people. Yeah, definitely. And as Danny said, like, I think we we all have something valuable to bring to the conversation. And, you know, being women ourselves, obviously, we do get a lot of these questions come in. And this episode's probably been a long time coming because we haven't actually sat down. We've had a lot of like experts on women's health, um, but not so much pregnancy specifically. And I get so many questions come through the DMs about training when you're pregnant, what to do. And from my professional uh experience and opinion I just feel like Instagram is not the place to be giving out that sort of advice right I'm like it just depends on so many things so it'll be really good to sit down and hear from your experience and your background as well um, about it all yeah definitely so I do have two kids myself one's five weeks old um so two under two is hectic but I do have some life experience as well so I think one thing that's really sort of missing and disconnected in the pre and postnatal space um, is the ability to empathize with mums and pregnant Mm. women and you know you Cheryl coming you know being a midwife you see the changes that women go through in their pregnancy so it's just been so valuable for me having children being able to empathize in that space but even being a registered nurse myself like we don't do babies Mm. people registered nurses don't do babies Mm. (laughs) but I had no idea about pre and postnatal training you know at all until Mm. I became pregnant myself and then I was like okay well I've been training for a really long time and I went to my GP and they're like don't lift anything over five kilos and I'm like Mm. what (laughs) yeah um and I I just felt really lost Mm. I guess Mm -hmm. so I know that a lot of women are in that position like okay I've been training for so long and you know both you both you ladies uh, have competed and you do compete so you probably attract a certain woman right on your socials and these women are very motivated very Mm -hmm. ambitious very driven and then you tell them no you can't do this anymore and it just Mm -hmm. adds so much stress to women in a already vulnerable time so Mm -hmm. I feel it and yeah I hope that we can give 
people some direction on how to take their training going forward. That's amazing. And you definitely don't learn anything to do with pregnancy when you study your cert three and four, you know, and it's kind of like, well, where do I learn this? Because it Mm. discounts like most of the population of women, because at some time, most women fall pregnant. And then to go to a personal Mm. trainer, like, obviously I don't have kids, but I could imagine that to be a very daunting experience, like Mm. not knowing where to go, but then going to the GP or a health professional, then they tell you to not lift. And it's like, okay, well, Mm. how do I stop doing something that I've loved doing for years? Now the body's changing. And yeah, Mm. I can just imagine it to be a really um, emotional experience if the right guidance isn't given. Yeah. Something you said there, Sheridan, which I was just laughing is like, when I went back to uni to become a midwife, the amount of people that were like, but don't you do that? Like you're a nurse. And I'm like, what? So I know everything. Like (laughs) there are people that specialize in these sorts of topics, right? Pregnancy, obviously being one of them, it's a very niche market, but Mm. like it's, it's, it's how the, you know, human race is here. You know, we go through pregnancy, prenatal, postnatal, and then it's like, well, what do we do intrapartum as well? And as Danny said, it's like, where do we get this sort of information? And it's people like yourself that have gone through the experiences that have that background in healthcare as well, that have that deeper understanding that can develop a passion for these areas and then be able to bring something to the fitness industry, right? Because Mm -hmm. the fitness industry lets women down in so many areas. And I also feel like pregnancy, postpartum um, and intrapartum is one of those huge gaps or deficits um, because even if someone's just being pregnant, and trained throughout doesn't necessarily mean that you can just do what they've done or take the advice from that person. So we would love to hear like your story, your background, you've shared a little bit of it, but what developed this passion? Yeah, a good question. And I think it, it, it did start from myself becoming pregnant. Um, and, you know, what you post on socials, you sort of attract, you know, you can't hide a pregnant belly, mm-hmm. <laughs> no matter how hard you try. So you, you just start to naturally attract uh, women who are in their pregnancy, it's going through pregnancy and in their postpartum period. And that is the clientele I started to attract. And I'm, I'm going to be so honest and say, like, I thought I knew what I was doing but I had no idea what I was doing. No idea. You know, it's, um, I don't, I don't like to call pregnancy and postpartum an injury because it is not an injury. It is a very natural process, but we ought to respect the process of it. Like it is an injury because so much in your body is changing. And there's this, I guess this, uh, expectation from coaches who maybe don't know how to guide their clients through this, that, you know, at six weeks, postpartum you're good to go and in pregnancy do what you've always done don't worry about it you don't need to change anything Mm. and that was me and it was horrible advice and I was getting women who are you know in their pregnancy and postnatal period where they would come to me and most of the time it was for aesthetic reasons right and that is so okay ladies you are allowed to want to look your best okay and it was you know that they had there was common complaints. It was like, why do my ribs look wider now? Um, why do I have this, you know, so I hate calling it this, but this mummy pooch, you know, and mm. it's like, oh, calorie deficit, calorie mm. deficit. Mm. And yeah, that is really well-meaning advice for the right person. It's the shittest oh. advice on yeah. in the fitness industry. It's like, calorie deficit how like yeah yeah but even like these women were you know they were losing fat and they they were they were lean but their bodies looked different and I was like what 
you know, what am I missing? And, you know, it'd be like, okay, well, you know, do you have any other symptoms? Oh yeah. Like I pee myself. Oh, Mm. it actually hurts when I have sex with my partner now, but Mm. like I just pushed out a baby. Isn't that normal? And it's like, well, common doesn't mean normal. Mm. I love that. Yeah. So it's, I was like, okay. And like you said, Cheryl, there's a massive gap in this market and we are doing women a disservice because Danny touched on it. I think it's like, I don't know what the stats are in Australia. Maybe Cheryl, you can touch on this, but I think like 87% of women in the US become pregnant at some stage of their life. So if your clientele is mostly women, whether you work with them in pregnancy or not, you're going to encounter these things. So to go back to your question, it came from, I guess, me being like, okay, well, what do I do? Like, I don't know what to do. And I found it really difficult to find that information. And the people that I would usually go to who are fantastic, incredible coaches couldn't help me through this season of my life. Mm. And I didn't know where to go. So I was like, well, I've identified this thing that women need and I need and that's where the passion started and it's sort of just taken me down that direction. Mm. That's so mm. incredible to hear. Like just that that passion that's developed from the experience you've gone through and something you mentioned there, I'd be curious to know, like when you started coaching, was your clientele like different? And then when you went through pregnancy, you attracted that new clientele? Yes. Yeah. And mm. I, guys, I resisted this for so long. <laughs> No, like I am not the pregnant and postpartum person. (laughs) Before I fell pregnant with my first Mm. Ellie, I was, you know, on my way to compete. And I I haven't competed before, but I was on my way to. And I was in the best shape of my life and Mm. training was everything to me. I I loved it so much. And, you know, so I, I attracted that you know, woman who maybe wants to compete or is looking for a particular aesthetic goal. Um, And that's the trainer that I was. That was the coach that I I was. And the slow transition of like, this is what I'm becoming. And I, Mm. I I resisted it for so long, but I think it just came from the fact that I didn't feel confident in helping these women. Um, Mm. Yep. And I was like, okay, well, you know, I have to become confident because women need this. And yeah, so now I... I think I'm seen as the pregnant slash postpartum coach, but. Well, yeah, that's why we got you on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So thank you for pushing through your own resistance and, and yeah. for admitting that you were resistant at the start, because that's normally mm. how it goes. And, um, and now look at you. So yeah, thanks for sharing that. That's really cool. Mm. Yeah. It's really awesome to hear because like you said, I feel like that's something I've thought about is like, this chapter is going to end and another one's going to start. And mm. there's this fear by a lot of coaches as well, that it's like, oh, if you lose your body or move into another chapter, you know, what happens to your business? But it's sort of like, well, what you put out is what you attract as well. Like as you go through a new chapter, your followers, your clientele, your audience, they, they're they going through that, like they're aging with yep. you, right? Yep. So it's nothing to be fearful of. And I really just wanted to highlight that because I know we have a lot of coaches that listen to this podcast as well, and they might be in a similar situation that they mm. don't have the knowledge. So this is why we really wanted to be able to open up the conversation and be able to bring some of that. Um, mm. And you don't know what you don't know, right? Mm. And for pregnancy, it's it's like off the radar, especially it was for me, me a few years ago. So it's just Absolutely. about bringing that conversation to light. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And one thing that I just really want to touch on there is that uh, if you are a coach or you're pregnant yourself and you, you, you're you in the fitness industry, in your first pregnancy, and I won't group this 
you know, I can't um, say that this is for everyone, but from my experience and from what I've seen from other women is, you know, um, the way you look is still very much a part of your identity and it can be really, really scary to be like, I know that things are going to change and I don't know how they're going to change. Am I going to get stretch marks? Am I going to gain a lot of weight? And people might call that vain, but it's it's not. It's the fact that, you know, you feel in control in your body and now this thing is happening and all of a sudden you're out, you're not feeling in control of your body. Mm. But, mm. you know, a lot of people will come to you and they'll be like, well, can I still like gain muscle during pregnancy? Can I still squat to the capacity that I'm doing, you know, at the moment? And mm. what I really want to say to that is that it's just really important that we need to move away from aesthetic-based goals and performance-based goals in pregnancy and we need to focus on maintaining a healthy pelvic floor and that sounds Mm. so boring like talk to me three years ago and if I saw something on the pelvic floor on Instagram I'd be like yes slide like (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah boring um yeah but it's not so much you know people ask what is safe during pregnancy and often they're asking that in the context of what is safe for the baby but I'm interested in what is safe for the woman and for the baby. And I'm interested in what your symptoms are going to be like when your babies have babies. And if we don't focus on that from the beginning and we're really focusing on performance and aesthetics, it takes away from that, the focus that we need to put on the pelvic floor and without, you know, adding, uh, I guess, fear mongering to the conversation if you don't prioritize your pelvic floor and aesthetics is something that uh, is important to you, like I said, that's okay. Not prioritizing your pelvic floor has an effect on that as well. So the, the mm. complaints from women that my, you know, my waist looks wider, why does my stomach look different, et cetera, that all is um, a priority or it's important in terms of your pelvic health to focus on that. So Mm, yeah. yeah, really good. I was just going to um, highlight as well something that absolutely blew my mind when I was working as a midwife was the amount of women that do put up with stress incontinence yeah. and just incontinence in general, right? Like mm-hmm. a, a woman coming back for a second birth that has been in incontinence since the first one two years ago. Yeah. And that was just a common reoccurrence that I'd see all the time. And it's something mm-hmm. that as midwives, we would absolutely stress about like postpartum, making sure they go to the toilet, making sure they're measuring, making sure it's fine, fluids balanced and checked, all that sort of stuff. Because if you disregard that absolutely in the first week initially, then it's really hard to get back. And it's so important that we think about ourselves, you know, that that saying that Stacey Sim says, women are not small men. It's not just physiologically, it's anatomically and structurally as well. And we have different considerations, but how are you going to know? Like if some people probably don't even know what a pelvic floor is, mm. you know, so for people yeah. that don't, how would you I guess explain this muscle um you know for people that obviously aren't watching okay so Mm -hmm. the pelvic floor so uh as Sherelle has said it is a muscle right and it's a muscle that supports all not well yeah all of our internal organs but you know Mm -hmm. mainly you know you've got your bladder you've got your rectum and you've got your uterus as well so the way that I like to think of the pelvic floor is like a really thick beautiful piece of steak before you've had a baby um and it's at the you know think of your organs above this piece of steak and it's beautiful it's juicy and it does what it needs to do and then you know when you become pregnant and your baby starts to grow um it places a strain on that muscle so that 
big fat juicy piece of steak starts to get a little bit thinner, starts to drop, gets a little bit weaker. And if we think of it kind of like a trampoline, if you're jumping on that Mm. trampoline, that trampoline is going to, you know, wear down over time or it's going to have more um, stress on it placed over time. So during pregnancy, with that stress on the pelvic floor, it needs time to return to that juicy piece of steak. It's not going to do that by itself. But I hope that that gives a good analogy of what the pelvic floor is. We love analogies and that was beautiful. I'm imagining the trampoline. I'm imagining the steak I ate last night. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> um, and I think, yeah, a lot of people have heard of the pelvic floor but associate it just with doing Kegels. I know that that was sort of the one exercise that everyone would say, you know, squeeze everything nice and tight and we can be doing it right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like there's a lot more to that, um, particularly since you mentioned in pregnancy, you know, the trampoline sort of um, wears down a little bit. And I love that you mentioned that it can be reversed. So obviously yeah. if we put in the work, it can be reversed. Um, but where does strength training come into that? Because, you know, you go and watch a top tier powerlifting comp and the women pee themselves on the platform and all of that. Like, how do you preserve your pelvic floor while training do you have to breathe differently do you have to brace differently I'd really love to talk about that yeah so it's what you've just highlighted there Danny is awesome because a lot of powerlifters uh you know suffer with incontinence like you said and even during training so this is not something that is isolated to women who have um, had babies or who are pregnant because the pelvic floor um one of its, you know, main roles is, you know, abdominal strength as well. So core strength and also, um, you know, it follows a natural rhythm of your breath. So what that basically means, why that happens where people are peeing themselves when they're strength training is because we're so used to, you know, it's called the Valsalva breath, right? Or even holding your breath. So the Valsalva breath, you know, you let picture a barbell on your back, you're about to go down into the squat, you take a deep breath in, you hold it, and then you let go when you get to the top of the squat. And outside of, you know, um, pelvic floor dysfunction or looking after your pelvic floor, that's a really efficient way to stabilize a, a weight on your back or whatever it is that you're doing. But when we look at the pelvic floor, it is the very opposite. So the pelvic floor um, is affected by our breathing mechanics and it's called the connection breath. So when you think of how you breathe, when you take a deep breath in, your diaphragm is going to move down and your pelvic floor is going to move down with it. When you take a breath, um, sorry, I've got that confused. Sorry, I've had two hours sleep, five week old. Two hours sleep. Oh, yeah. Another another thing we can talk about, lack of sleep. That'll come after. (laughs) No, sorry, I said the right thing. When you take a deep breath in, pelvic floor moves down. And when you, yeah, so then it moves back up, right? So instead of holding our breath throughout that movement, we need to make sure that we are breathing with the natural rhythm of our breath, Mm. right? So when you squat down and go down into the squat, you're not holding your breath. You're taking a deep breath in, allowing your pelvic floor to do what it does. And then when you come back up, you're going to pull your pelvic floor in. Does that make sense? So do you breathe out while you come back up? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. See, well, your strength goals will have to go down the drain because there's no way you can do that with a heavy bar on your back. hundred percent. So the question that people ask me when it comes to resistance training is what can I and can't I do? Um, And that's a really nuanced answer. So what I like to say is if 
you are doing a movement that requires you to hold your breath or do a Valsalva breath, it's too heavy and it's not appropriate. But that doesn't mean that we need to stop squatting and we Mm. need to stop deadlifting and we need to stop doing all the things. It means that we need to look at the intensity that we're doing those movements in. So, you know, one of one of the favorite one of my most favorite quotes, and I'm going to absolutely butcher it, but it is, you know, if you always are focusing on understanding or looking for methods, you'll fail to understand the principle. So if I look at that in the ways of, you know, fat loss, the principle is is. Uh, energy balance right a calorie deficit but the way that we meet that is we can do it in a million different ways Mm. keto intermittent fasting we can do if it fits your macros however you want to do it as long as you're applying the principle so what is the principle of safe effective pre and postnatal training is understanding that your breathing will affect how your pelvic floor is functioning and it's not so much about can i squat can i deadlift it's what are you doing throughout those movements? And when you do a squat, if you're applying that connection breath, so again, taking that breath in, and then when you exhale, bringing up your pelvic floor and doing the hardest part of that movement when you're bringing up your pelvic floor, right? Mm. Then it's going to be totally safe for you. And then afterward, it's like, okay, how did that feel? What, what do I feel heaviness in my pelvis? Did I pee a little bit? Um, do I have pain the next day? And when I say pain, I don't mean DOMS. I mean, you know, pelvic pain. Mm. Did that just not feel right? So yeah. everything that you do, okay, red flags. What are the red flags? We've got mm. you know, peeing your pants. We've got that heaviness in the pelvic floor. Um, and we've also got doming of the abdomen so if you picture doming I want you to just kind of think of your abdomen and then you've got sort of like a cone coming out of it and what that indicates is there's abdominal separation but what I really want to highlight there is that abdominal separation is not something to be feared a hundred percent of women in their third trimester will have some form of abdominal separation and Sherelle can really touch on this as well right it's a normal part of your your belly expanding to facilitate your baby Mm. the doming is not a problem itself it's feedback to say that you're not distributing your intra-abdominal pressure correctly Mm. so you're sorry so does it dome backwards or outwards outwards or outwards outwards yes how do you tell amongst the normal sorry this is me not being a midwife or a specialty um how can you tell the difference is it in a different spot to your normal bump or like so I want you to picture so your six-pack abs right um you've got your six-pack abs and when you are pregnant your those abs will move so if you think of them you know lined up together and we think about what the six-pack abs look like the linear elbow, so the bit in the middle of those two muscles are going to separate. So you'll get like a line. So when I say coning, it's not like your, you know, your lower abdomen area. It's literally sort of from your diaphragm down to your pelvis mm. and the line there, that's where the coning happens and the doning mm. happens. Does that make sense? Yeah, thanks for explaining. It's that. very obvious when you see it. You're yeah. like, what yeah. is that? It's just yeah. like this like bump that sort of comes through. What is it that's mm. pushing through? Is it your uterus or your TBA? No, it's just the pressure. Just the pressure mm. of your it's abdomen pressure. Kind of yeah, just so you're taking that, you know, when you look at how your stomach expands, when you take a deep breath in, you know, mm. you, 
belly is going to come out, right? So it's just the pressure of, you know, obviously the ligament, the linear alba is weakened there. So that breath in, you're just pushing that out. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that that indicates, you know, that you need to work on that connection breath and you need mm. to be thinking about how you're breathing on your inhale and your exhale. Mm. Yeah. People really underestimate like breathing mechanics when it oh, comes yeah. to resistance training in general, but let alone when you add pregnancy and pelvic floor health on top of this, right? I can just mm. imagine how, I guess, overwhelming this could be for some people to hear about these sorts of things and being like, what do you mean i got to teach my clients to breathe differently when they're pregnant as well? Um, and, you know, it's mm. always going to depend, but the pelvic floor is just, I feel like it's a muscle we need to be really familiar with because it really mm. is the bottom that's holding everything together. And mm. you can't have a strong, like a strong brace without a strong pelvic floor at the end of the day. And Danny, mm. you sort of highlighted even with powerlifters at the end of the day, when their brace goes, their pelvic floor goes and they wet themselves on the platform. So it mm. is a very, very common thing. Yeah. And one, one really, I guess, misunderstood area of pelvic floor health is, you know, those, you're always told to do your kegels, do your kegels, do your kegels, do your kegels, (laughs) but how are you breathing when you do your kegels? Mm. That is really, really, really important because, you know, you need to take that, that breath in and relax. And then when you exhale, you're bringing up that pelvic floor, but equally, you need to know how to relax your pelvic floor. So we're told mm. do your kegels and we're always drawing up, drawing up, drawing up, drawing up as much as we can and not allowing the relaxation of the pelvic floor. So if we think mm. of how your breathing works, yes, when you exhale, you're drawing it up, but when you inhale, you need to relax it because mm. that's what the pelvic floor wants to do. Mm. Surely I wasn't the only one trying that then. Correct me if I'm wrong, Sheridan, but you mentioned earlier about like some of your clientele that might've mentioned they've been having painful sex as well. Um, Can you speak to a little bit how that's related to the pelvic floor and like the dysfunction of that? So it's, when we look at the pelvic floor specifically, it's, um, you know, whether or not you need to relax your pelvic floor or whether or not it's weak, right? So depending on the symptoms that you're having, you know, you can have painful sex, but do you have an overactive pelvic floor or do you have an underactive pelvic floor? And how do we know this? Mm. Go to a women's health physio. Please, please love your women's health physios. And they can do an internal exam. Mm. Um, And that might sound scary, but they can tell you a lot about your pelvic floor. So myself as a pre and postnatal coach, I can hear your symptoms, but unless I know what your pelvic floor is doing and because it's an internal muscle, I don't know what it's doing. Right. So other reasons though, for painful sex as well, that's not related to the pelvic floor. Um, Well, I guess it kind of is. No, it, it, it is. It's your type of delivery. Right. So Sherelle, you, you can really speak to this. Some women have, you know, uh, I guess, a I wouldn't call it breezy. Like is it ever a breezy delivery? <laughs> Come on, tell us serious, please. Please. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe um, about the sixth one around. That's probably fun story. Oh, just slides on out. Yeah. Well, my, my second daughter actually did. So oh. like fun story before I get into that, I, <laughs> I had a water birth for my second and, um, I got through transition, which is that finals like stage of the everything opening up. And I was like, oh, I don't feel like I need to push. And my husband was like, oh, all right, I'm going to go to the toilet. And oh. you know, he, it was just in the room. And then he, 
he came out and there was a baby in the water. Oh. Like I, I had my first like urge to push and in 45 seconds, he just. That was so good. Oh, yeah. so many people are so envious of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, back to what oh, I how was good. saying. Some people don't have deliveries like that. So the use of mm. instruments like forceps or vacuums, um, cesarean deliveries, um, if you have tearing and you need stitches and an episiotomy, mm. it's going to affect how things down there feel. So yeah. outside mm. of pelvic floor, that's also a consideration as well. Yeah, that's really important, I think, to highlight because instrumental deliveries are very, very common. Um, Even if it's like a vacuum cup where they might just put something on the baby's head and sort of draw it down, or like you said, something a bit more extreme, like actually forceps. Obviously, Mm. this is going to have wear and tear on your um, pelvic floor. And then, you know, I don't expect coaches to know about like second degree, third degree tears Mm. and what considerations that needs to have. Um, But I think knowing like, especially for a cesarean, I think it's important for coaches to know that they have had significant abdominal surgery and they need to be medically cleared um, by a women's health physio, by their obstetrician, by medical experts. They, they, it's not like the, oh, it's just an easier walk in the park because there isn't a lot of stigma that having a Caesar is an easier option and you can Mm -hmm. just get back to things. And it's completely the opposite. Mm -hmm. It's completely the opposite. A natural vaginal delivery, like you said, where a baby just breezes out, which is, very um what a dream right love that for you um you know women get up after an hour and they're walking around showering themselves I'm like incredible but yeah I think it's I think it's important just to highlight that you know it is a significant thing that the body's been through and like you said it's not like we're sick or injured um but there's there's massive considerations and implications for giving out the wrong advice yeah and Danny a question that I really want to ask you is if if I um tore a ligament in my ankle right um what what advice would you give me if I came and seen you on day two yeah well if it's a ligament tear you you have to rest that ligament until it heals and then slowly reintroduce weight bearing or you know movement in that area yeah so you go through a period of rest and recovery Mm. you go through a period of rehabilitation you go through a period of increasing the intensity and there is your postpartum period, mm. literally. You have been through and undergone a lot of change in your body. And like I've said, it's not an injury, but it is an injury, right? You know, mm. you've got um, soft tissue damage, your connective tissue, everything has changed. And we have this mindset, especially as coaches, that, oh, okay, six weeks, yeah, cool, she got her clearance. Like she's she's so good to go. Mm. No, like she's not good to go. And what is really important to understand is that, women in their postnatal period are vulnerable, right? They've given birth and often throughout pregnancy, you feel quite restricted in your body, right? You can't move how you usually did. And then in your postnatal period, you know, it's like, oh, like, you know, I'm starting to feel a little bit like myself again, but it's your mind that's ready. Your body Mm. is not ready. So we don't go, we don't go backwards we go forwards we don't go back to what we were doing in our pregnancies or even you know before our pregnancies we need to give our postnatal period that respect the way that we would a injury and we are great at you know when we have an injury such as I've torn the ligaments in my ankle we go to someone like you Danny and we're like what do I need to do like help me understand how I get back to my um you know full capacity uh, Mm. safely but we don't do that in the postnatal period because Mm. We just, we want to change things quickly because our bodies look different 
And again, that's okay to have those thoughts. You don't need to love your postnatal body. You can feel neutral about it. But, you know, women often, what changes when you give birth? Your your stomach, right? So Mm. people who perhaps aren't educated are going to go and start doing crunches. They're going to start doing that because, you know, that's what you want to change. And that's the last thing that we should be doing, right? So just it's so hard as a coach to take an ambitious driven woman and be like, you need to just slow down. And I know that you're comfortable in your nervous system. I know that so much of your identity is in what you do and how you perform and we will get you there. I promise Mm. you, we will get you there and we'll get you there safely. And when your babies have babies, you won't be peeing yourself and you won't Mm. have prolapse. And, you Mm. know, it's just so important to understand that you need to take the time to facilitate your recovery. Yeah. That was beautiful. I and love so that. important, right? Mm. Inspired. Yeah. I feel like you just speak into the soul <laughs> of all our listeners though, because you know, I'm just it like, would be yeah, yeah. So hard, right? And yeah. like to slow down for that period of time that's months and months of just easing back into it and listening to your body and learning how to give back to yourself. Um, that's why the education is so important. If you can mm. sort of explain what will happen if you don't take a slow yeah. approach, you know, prolapses, injury, things like that. Like that's why the education is so important that people actually trust the advice mm. of just taking it as an individualized approach and taking it slow, mm. like just like an injury recovery. It's not about how fast you can recover. It's about how well you can recover. Mm. Um, and what I noticed with a lot of people who have had babies as well, postural um, presentations, you know, the side that they hold their new child or how they lift their baby um, out of the crib or breastfeeding, Mm. like everyone is so different in that element as well. So to try and look for a quick fix, a cookie cutter approach, it's just a recipe for disaster. So, Mm. you know, have respect for the process afterwards as well and how you handle your child and all of that. And, you know, it's, it's a unique process for everyone. Yeah, you've highlighted something really important there, Danny. So um, posture. If we are, you know, if we've got, uh, if we're sort of rounding through our back and I'm, you guys record this, don't you? Like, yep. you yeah, yeah, we can make a so, zoom on this one. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're rounding through your back um, and you've got that curve in your lumbar spine, or if you're sort of kyphotic and you've got that round in your um, thoracic spine, you are not going to be able to breathe properly, right? Mm-hmm. So the changes throughout pregnancy, you know, think about where your belly is growing, right? Your center of gravity is going to change. And in order to sort of support the the heaviness of your belly, your body changes, your posture changes. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I noticed really, um, it's really common in postnatal women that, you know, when they send me their check-in photos, I'm looking at their posture and Mm. they often sort of complain, like, why does my belly just feel like it hangs all the time? And why does it do that? And a lot of the time it's your posture. You need to think about your pelvis like a water bowl and you Mm. don't want, it's full. That water bowl is full. And if you tip it back, it's going to spill. If you tip it forward, it's going to spill, right? We want to keep it Mm. neutral and keep that beautiful neutral posture because that allows for your breathing mechanics to um, work as they usually do. Uh, And it improves the aesthetics of it as well. So Mm. yeah, definitely when you, when you're postnatal, one of, you know, and I, I haven't looked into the research specifically for this, but there is a sort of consensus that in terms of pelvic floor health, women who have cesarean seem to do better than women who have um, vaginal deliveries. Would you agree, Sherelle? Yeah, 100%. Mm -hmm. So 
makes sense. It's kind of like, is this a correlation versus causation situation? Yeah. Because when a woman has a cesarean, we are very rest. You must rest. Do not mm. lift anything heavier than your baby, right? Um, and she's given more guidance and support that you have just had a major abdominal surgery and you mm. need to take it easy. But yeah. someone like me who gives, you know, a very straightforward um, vaginal delivery, there's nothing. It's like, mm. just go off and do what you need to do. And, you know, is it a, that correlation versus causation? Do, do women who have cesareans do better with their um, pelvic floor because they have that period of dedicated rest? Because yes, giving birth vaginally is going to put pressure on your pelvic floor, but that's not the thing that really creates that significant, um, I guess, um, weakness to the pelvic floor. It's the fact that you've had a baby in your uterus for yeah. nine, 10 months. Right. Yeah. So that's an interesting yeah. point. Yeah. It makes perfect sense as well. I feel like it's just one of those things with women in general, like when they look okay on the outside, if there's no cuts and bruises or blood, they must be going okay. And we yeah. see that a lot with all other reproductive diseases and, and considerations that women mm-hmm. go through. It's like, Oh, they're, they're okay. And because as you said, High achievers, hard workers, especially mums, right? They're just happy to get on with it. They'll pick their toddler up when they shouldn't. They'll sacrifice their breathing to breastfeed. They'll do a lot of things because that's sort of in the nature of a lot of women. And I feel like that's what um, coaching is just so valuable for, to be like, hey, you need to look after this. You need permission to look after this. How's your sleep going? I'm checking in on you. You posture. These are your exercises. You know, someone to be your advocate and your caregiver in a period where you probably know you're definitely not going to put yourself first. And that's okay as well because your baby is where your priorities are going to be. But I just think, you know, it's almost a time where like coaching would be really important. Would you think, Sheridan, like that postpartum period? Yes, absolutely. It's it's so important. And if, you know, even just the support of a women's health physio is so, so important. And, you know, people often ask like, you know, what about um, compression shorts and what about this and what about that? And it's like, yeah, maybe, like maybe those things can Mm. help you in your postnatal period, but what will really help you is going to see a women's health physio. And, you know, I, I understand that people put a lot of trust and emphasis in their obstetricians and their midwives and, Not everyone is a midwife like Sherelle, right? (laughs) Some of them have no idea about exercise or anything like that. And we can't expect them to understand. We have specialists for reasons and we need to make sure that we are, you know, and I know it comes from a place of privilege to be to say that you can afford a um, a women's health physio. But if you can't, when you've given birth, you know, in Australia in the public health system and even in the private system, ask to see a physio. Get them to assess your abdominal separation because people are like, how do I know if I have abdominal separation? Yep. And you can certainly do that yourself. Um, but yeah, get the physios from the hospital and just a little tip. Don't spend the money on the beautiful SRC shorts. Get some tubi grip. Yes. You don't know what tubi grip is? Yeah. Ask your midwife. (laughs) That shit is liquid gold. Yeah. But you raise a really good point because I think, um, and just from my own personal experience, you can get missed a lot in the healthcare system and you've almost got to be our own advocate of it's like, oh, yeah, I'll put in a referral for the the, the women's physio and then she just knocks off because she's going overtime and yeah. things mm. can get forgotten so easy. Oh, yeah, they'll get to you in the next week. That's too late. 
you know, so you almost need to be your own advocate when it comes to these sorts of things. But I love that you said that you can start, you know, measuring your own separation. You can get on Google, you can have a look around and get curious. You can outsource, you can ask your GP for referrals. There's lots of different ways that you can go about it. But Mm. I just want to sort of reiterate, you don't know what you don't know. Some people probably didn't know that there was women's health physios that specialize in this, for example, but it's a, it's a real um, problem or a real issue. And I think we just need to like, needed to highlight that as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important for the coaches to know that or to not be overwhelmed because it's not someone with a cert four's responsibility to look after someone who's just had a baby, but we're all about, you know, creating teams amongst healthcare practitioners and professionals. So find a women's health physio that you can send your clients to, and then they can do the um, assessments and then give you guidance on what kind of training they need and create a team around that. So I think it's been a big gold nugget to know that there are women's health physios out there as well that we can learn from and work with um, Mm -hmm. both as a client and a coach as well. For all the coaches listening going, oh my God, what am I going to do? Create that team and referral system. Yeah, and just for the coaches out there, you know, if you don't feel comfortable taking on, you know, it's funny with pregnancy, like pregnancy people are like either, yep, okay, I'll take you on or no, like Mm. too hard basket. I have no idea what to do with you. Um, And then postnatally it's like, oh, yeah, like, yeah, cool. You're just another person, right? You're just another person wanting to come and lose weight or get in shape. Um, But try not to feel overwhelmed and, again, Go back to the principles of what safe and effective pre and postnatal training is. It's Uh. pelvic floor. It's that connection breath. It's looking for red flags, your abdominal separation, all of those symptoms that I spoke about. And if they're having that, refer out. You you want to refer out. You know, that's something that needs to be medically addressed. Mm. Um, So don't feel like you have to have all the answers. It's okay to say, I don't know. Yeah. And that's the most powerful thing that you can do. 100%. So Um, important. It's even like I've come into like a few situations where clients will be like, oh, I'm pregnant. And I'm like, awesome. Like, it doesn't mean you have to stop coaching. Like you've got a midwife, you've got other people, you know, you can have some in-person training if you want some more guidance on, you know, integrating some of this breath work or whatever it Mm. is. It's not like you need a one-stop shop to, or you can, and now all of a sudden you can't train and and do these sorts of things. Something Mm. I wanted to ask you about Sheridan was, do you have any like recommendations or guidelines when it comes to like unilateral exercises versus bilateral exercises during the later pregnancy I've heard um like some people sort of discourage um moving into unilateral exercises depending on pelvic stability yeah so really great question now let's sort of look at each trimester right yeah that'd be cool if we can break it down into like the do's and don'ts generally that'd be awesome thanks for the segue (laughs) Sherelle so trimester one right you're pregnant People probably don't know that you're pregnant. You probably feel like you haven't slept in 90,000 years and you're mm-hmm. delicious, um, and you don't want to eat protein or vegetables, but that's totally fine. Huh? Do you have to change much in your first trimester? No, not really. Other, if you, other than if you're doing contact sports and things like that, that are not mm. recommended. But if let's just say, you know, my specialty is resistance training. I'm focusing on resistance training, nothing outside of that. That's not my area of expertise. Um, But you don't need to change much. But what the first trimester is about is practicing that connection breath so Mm. that when your belly does get bigger and your uterus does expand, you're sort of all over how to um, safely do that and how to really connect to your connection breath. Because 
what I want you ladies to do is, and everybody to do is next time you go and do a training session, I want you to get maybe not under a bar, mm. maybe get a dumbbell, do a goblet squat and try not to take a deep breath in. Try not to do it. Try not to hold your breath. I want you to try and so weird. <laughs> exhale on the way down and then, uh, sorry, inhale on the way down and then exhale on the way up and pull up your pelvic floor. Okay. So I'm going to repeat that on the way down. You're going to take a deep breath in on the way up. You're going to exhale and you're going to pull your pelvic floor up. I just it's visualized hard. myself like standing up, like nearly falling over, just like yes. rocket with the breath. But to breathe out and pull yeah. up is tricky. It's kind of like when in primary school you used to try and pat your head and rub yes. your stomach. It feels like it's the opposite. 100%. It's hard. So in our first trimester, we want to be practicing that when, you know, our belly's not big, our uterus hasn't really expanded, so that when it does, we, we are safely sort of lifting the load. Again, remember, if you are holding your breath, you are going to failure. No. Mm-hmm. So if you find it's like, how hard do I train? How heavy can I push? Reiterating, if you're holding your breath, if you're doing a Valsalva, it's too heavy. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be subjective to each woman, right? And her abilities and her um, previous yep. athletic background, right? Would um, this be, sorry, would this be relevant for anyone trying to get pregnant or even um, like anyone who's not pregnant or just, if, just when you fall pregnant? If you're having symptoms of pelvic floor dysfunction, so... Mm like we spoke about before, athletes can have symptoms of pelvic floor dysfunction, right? It's not, it's not, and men can as well, Mm -hmm. you know? So um, if you're trying to conceive, it's a really good idea to go and see a women's health physio just to see where you're sort of at. They can really help you with that sort of breath work as well, which can be really helpful, but um, you can give it a go. But yeah, mostly if you're having those symptoms of pelvic floor dysfunction. Awesome. Um, now, in your first trimester, you are going to be tired. That is a really common um, complaint in your first trimester, and I can vouch for that. It's <laughs> Does the tiredness stop, Sheridan? That's I know, I'm you're still right. tired. Oh. Yeah. I'm not even sure what, like, refreshed is anymore. So. <laughs> no, no. Um, so, look. Your um, what is also happening is your body is building that placenta, right? So, um, Sherelle, what happens when your body's building your placenta in terms of cardiac output? It goes up a lot. It's a hell of a lot of energy um, mm-hmm. to build that placenta. And that's why people have that, that fatigue. You use a hell of a lot more iron. Um, there's mm-hmm. a lot of processes that go through the body in that first 12 weeks. And that's why it's so exhausting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Volume. Think about your volume. You're probably going to be short of breath quicker. You're probably not going to be able to recover as well as well. Also, so that's what you want to change in the first trimester. Breath work and perhaps your volume. Take a little bit more rest and monitor your symptoms. If you're not feeling up to training, then don't train, right? Um, one of the things that women really struggle with is, well, am I going to lose muscle mass? And the, the truth of the matter is probably because you just can't bring that same intensity to your sessions if, mm. if you are prioritizing your pelvic floor. Mm. But what's really beautiful about muscle is muscle memory. And it is so much easier to rebuild muscle that you've already had than mm. to build new muscle tissue. So just hold strong in that you will get back to the muscle that you had if you lose it in your postnatal period without doing too much um, or requiring too much effort. Mm, awesome. Um, in your second trimester, you're going to feel so much more like yourself. If you had nausea, hopefully it's better. Um, if you were fatigued, it's probably going to feel better. And you're going to feel 
more like yourself. So this is where we can sort of, you know, increase the volume again. Depending on the woman, it's going to be like, is your uterus showing? So one of the common questions I get is, well, can I do barbell hip thrusts? Guys, use your discretion, right? Mm. So like if, you're, if your uterus isn't showing, it's probably okay. But if your uterus is starting to show, just putting that barbell in that area is probably not a great idea, right? Mm. So we need to look at, um, you know, risk versus reward when we're looking at um, training in our pre and postnatal period. So people are very fixated on the barbell hip thrust, like very, very mm, like. Like do a kickback, it's okay. Yes. I won't grow glutes otherwise. Yeah, like do a 45 degree back extension. Like, you know, it's. it's or fun. even body weight, single leg, like B stand. Yes. Yeah, there's so many options. So many options. Like if we think of a barbell hip thrust, we're training the glutes through the shortened position, right? We can do that many other ways um you can use a dumbbell if you want to and do a single leg like um danny has suggested right so um there are certain exercises that we want to avoid so when your your belly is starting to get bigger barbell hip thrusts front-loaded exercises like planks um and that might be okay for somebody but again what's the principle of effective pre and postnatal training right how are you using that breath so if you're going to do a plank I want you to think about how you're using your breath and record yourself and see, do I have any abdominal doming? So wear a crop top, rock it. Don't worry. Your mm-hmm. belly is going to get bigger. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And if you're getting coning slash doming of that abdomen, it mm-hmm. does indicate that you are distributing intra-abdominal pressure. Not great. Mm-hmm. Um, other things that you might not want to do in your second trimester. That's actually really it don't push yourself like you feel ready to push yourself but again breathing right um now third trimester or sort of the end of second trimester so some people get pelvic girdle pain which is where that recommendation comes from don't do unilateral exercises right but it's a really blanket statement and it, mm. it doesn't fit everybody right so if you have pelvic girdle pain or spd Um, So SPD is really sort of um, the difference between pelvic girdle pain and SPD. Pelvic girdle pain sort of happens with movement, whereas SPD, it happens with like everyday sort of things like getting out of the car, swinging your legs over the bed, blah, 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 blah. It doesn't really go away. It's always sort of there. And these are the women that you might need to take unilateral exercises away from because Mm -hmm. just you know, the front leg and the back leg doing two different things, it um, does create that instability and you need to be able to stabilize a lot more. So it can create more pain. Mm. Does that answer your question, Cheryl? Yeah, hundred percent. I think I just really wanted to highlight um, that fact of like, firstly, when, what you mentioned at the start was really valuable. Cause I think sometimes I just wanted to shake women and be like, you are growing a baby. <laughs> Yeah. Like who cares yeah. if you lose your glutes? It's all good. Like you're growing a fetus. Like it's an incredible process. And I feel like um, I'm not entirely sure, but second time around, you'd be like, okay, my body's going to go through a really incredible process. But when it's your first one, you sort of don't know what you're about to go through as well. You haven't actually seen um, the changes that your body are going to go through. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think 
you know, something that I've heard quite a lot of it and probably seen a fair bit of is that pelvic instability that is quite common because in later pregnancy, you know, your pelvis actually has to widen a little bit. And we have this hormone called relaxin that's released and it does exactly that. It relaxes the ligaments and the tendons in the pelvis so it can make way for baby's head to sort of descend. Um, And that's why you might experience some of those sort of pains or lower back issues for example in later pregnancy as well so Mm. i think it's just an important consideration to know that even which you've done beautifully there sharon just divide it up into like when you have to actually start taking action when you have to start thinking about things if other things show up this is why and this is what you can do yeah yeah absolutely and if you are having pelvic girdle pain um and even SPD or you think you have SPD. So removing unilateral exercises, um, if it's really painful, you can go in again, see your women's health physio and they can fit you with a, a belt that sort of just like brings everything in together and holds our pelvis together beautifully as well. So yeah. yeah, you can also adjust the nature of the unilateral exercises. Like no way in hell would you have someone doing a Bulgarian split squat in most cases, just because of the angle and <laughs> the nature. Like, I've seen a pregnant the woman rotation. doing a Bulgarian split squat. Yeah, well, a lot of even non-pregnant people don't yep. really do it well. So you can, like, we don't want to completely omit a movement if there's no symptoms, because Mm. it's not like in your daily life, you're going to pick something off the ground all the time in a perfect squat. There's going to be times where you need to balance on one leg and all of that. So just um, as you've been saying, use your discretion. And if it's not bringing on those symptoms, then it's probably okay, Mm. but doesn't mean you need to do the hardest progression of that exercise, you know, just to your body. Yeah. Yeah. And if if you're doing an exercise um, and it doesn't feel right, it's like, okay, well, if I had two dumbbells in my hands, like, and it was, you know, I was holding 10 kilos in each hand, can I decrease the the weight that I'm carrying? If that Mm. still doesn't feel okay, can I do a body weight? Can I look at doing um, slower eccentrics? Can I look at doing my, you know, um, moving slowly through the tempo? Mm -hmm. There are ways that you can um, regress that um, movement where it's still appropriate for you. So when people are like, what can I and can't I do? Other than some like things like barbell hip thrusts, you know, um, contact sports, front front loaded exercises, which again, it does depend on the person. Um, It's, yeah, really important not to try and think of what exercises. It's how am I doing through this exercise? Yeah. yeah At really which good. point can you not lie on, on your stomach as well? Just because that's an obvious one too. So how would you advise someone around that? When it's uncomfortable, you know you can't lie on your stomach. Cool, yeah. cool. It's yeah. as if just with anything, people kind of want like the exact yeah. answer. But what we're learning, there's no exact answer, is there? Like yeah, everyone's um, so different. And another question is, when can I not lie on my back? Um, well, yeah. So, yeah, the recommendations um, are 28 weeks where you don't sleep on your back. Is that right, Cheryl? Yeah, I was about to say, usually you get lightheaded anyway. So I was about to say, it's like, oh. you know, it's the thing. It's like, if you're feeling dizzy, like just sit up a bit. I feel like yeah. our body is just so ingrained at telling us. <laughs> and that's just, just because for anyone um, that wants to know, we have like an artery that sort of goes behind. And once baby gets big enough, if we lay on our back, it sort of can occlude that blood supply to our brain a little bit. So obviously it's mm. not ideal to stay there. And that's why we have like pregnancy pillows and those sorts mm. of things to help with um, yeah. sleeping, et cetera. I suppose yeah, if so- we were that precious, we wouldn't have lasted this no, long. No, we society, are resilient. Right? We yeah. are resilient. 100%. And yeah, we aren't broken. It's not a disease, it's mm. not an injury. Like you got this, your body knows intuitively what to do. But what I want to say to that is 
to the highly driven, motivated, mm. ambitious woman. You have been taught <laughs> your whole life to ignore the voice that tells you to slow down. Mm. I need you to listen to that voice now, which can yeah. be really difficult um, to listen to that voice because, you know, it's it's been the reason for so much success in our lives. But right now we just, we just need to listen to it and just more on lying on your back. So recommendations are, you know, sleeping on your back, you know, don't sleep on your back after 28 weeks. And that's the Australian recommendations. But like Sherelle said so beautifully, if it's not appropriate for you to lie on your back during an exercise, because we need to think about exercise, like we're not laying in bed for eight hours, we're, you know, 30 seconds on our back, right? If you're not, you know, getting symptoms like that dizziness, tingling in your legs, it feels okay, it's probably okay for you. So, mm, awesome. again. Yeah, I think um, when it comes to, like, um, exercise as well, that's a given for not even just being pregnant. But if something doesn't feel right, probably mm. isn't. And you probably mm. just need to switch up the variation. Um, with pregnancy, like, I would always say too, like, just reduce your intensity. You don't need to be grinding yep. to failure. You know, avoid explosive um, movements like box jumps and those sorts of things yes. obviously and just switch gears and like focus on like like my goal one day when I'm pregnant will just be to stay active throughout my whole pregnancy that will be my driver even if that's a freaking 30 minute walk right and I think that's mm. just the direction that a lot of high achieving women that have been um, aesthetic focused especially our generation going through competing right oh, just yeah. imagine that shift it's going to be so much easier said than done and that's why I think just having support networks around you is just so vital, whether that's a coach. Um, the other thing I just absolutely love seeing is just this new generation of women that are sharecasing it on social media. Um, I loved following Meg Squat's um, pregnancy journey as well and sort of her saying, look, I'm eight weeks and I'm still not um, back into lifting because I just don't feel it. And yeah. saying not painting this textbook or oh, back to, you know. Bounced back in like four weeks. Bounced back, <laughs> me, And that's what you re- like saw on social media five years ago that's all you saw were the ones that just bounced back and now we've got this like new generation showing us you know the being real and authentic and showing Mm. how hard last trimester is and how difficult breastfeeding can be and even Mm. emily king is a fantastic um role model for that just to show like it's freaking hard work and you know we just need to have that self-compassion during that that next chapter Mm. yeah absolutely and you know like i've done i have done hard things in my life like intensive care nurse, defense force. I've done hard things, but I've never, ever done anything as hard as being a mom. And that's not to oh. say that it's it's awful at mm. all because it, it's indescribable, but it's hard. And mm. I think, you know, that old saying, comparison is a thief of joy, but we cannot compare our pregnancies to another woman's. Mm, um, no. Sorry about my phone going off. My husband's got the little baby and he's like, uh-huh. see, <laughs> mum, life never stops, even on podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> you can check it if you need. Like, yeah, I'll check it in a sec. <laughs> um, but, and it's, you know, like I said before, you're in your postnatal period, your mind feels ready, but your body is not. And that applies not just to training, but also to dieting and what you're eating. So a common question that I get is like, well, can you diet when you're breastfeeding? Mm. And it's a really great question. And we could probably do a whole podcast on it. But, you know, if we look at the literature and the research, dieting or losing weight whilst breastfeeding generally seems safe. 
up to around half a kilo a week, depending on the woman. Some research shows up to a kilo per week. But again, does that take into consideration a woman who maybe didn't gain a lot of weight in their pregnancy and a woman who maybe did gain a little bit more weight in their pregnancy? But in that first sort of, it's called the fourth trimester, so the 12 weeks um, after your birth, your body is doing a lot. It's, It's healing. And, you know, our bodies in pregnancy will prioritize the needs of our baby over our own needs. So is it safe to diet whilst breastfeeding? Technically, like, yes, it probably won't affect your milk supply too much if you're not having issues with your milk supply. But you are in a really vulnerable state in terms of sleep deprivation. How much muscle mass are you going to actually retain in that time? Because Mm. like I said, I had two hours sleep last night. Not ideal, right? Mm. Second is that you're probably already deficient in a lot of micronutrients because again, you've been, the needs of your body have prioritized your baby over your own. Mm. Um, And three, your energy requirements increase a lot when you're breastfeeding and you are hungry and add stress to that and sleep deprivation to that. Dieting is just not really, it's not an ideal time. So it's sort of a, yeah should I versus can I situation? And I will never tell a woman what she can and can't do with her body. But again, she's got that sort of adrenaline, that that um, fire in her nervous system that, okay, well, now I can diet because I don't have mm. the baby in me. And mm. she's so worried about the safety of her baby that she sometimes can forget, hey, I've just been through this monumental thing and I just need to give myself some space and time. Yeah, well said. I I don't know if I would um like personally or professionally be like focus too much on body composition initially postpartum as well. <laughs> like you said, you you know you don't just bounce back to a flat stomach and dieting down is not going to sort of do that any quicker either. Um, you know, fat loss in that stage should really just be about is it is this like for my long term health? Like, have I gained more than what's recommended in pregnancy? Can I use this as a bit of a tool to just passively let my body just lose a little bit of body fat in the process but it's a really Mm. difficult conversation and you sort of said there as well that you know it's very it's a very energy demanding um process like breastfeeding in itself and for women that do have like an established um adequate milk supply how how can the calories vary like i've heard that you can burn up to an extra thousand calories a day yeah good question so depending on the research what you read it's like 300 calories 500 calories 600 calories 1000 calories mm-hmm. and the answer is it depends yes um, isn't it always what does it depend on the so how much food your baby takes so how much feeding that your baby actually takes are you feeding on demand are you mixed feeding are you you know formula feeding and are you breastfeeding Mm -hmm. how old is your baby we can't say that a one week Mm. old is going to have you know taking the same amount of milk as a 12 month old so our you know and when when we when we give birth and Sherelle can you know confirm whether or not I'm speaking in truths or I've just made this up but when you deliver your placenta that's going to drive the you know so your lactation up so hormones are driving that milk supply and also the demand and supply is driving that milk supply but you know your your boobs will be engorged you might leak you might have a lot of letdowns and then as you know your body's like okay well, what does my baby actually need like am I mm. making too much milk here mm. and those hormones start to drop then it's really driven by that demand and supply am I mm. correct saying that 100% yeah. so mm. 
your energy requirements are going to be really high in those first few weeks. And when does your milk supply settle? When do you reach established lactation? It really depends on the woman. Some people it's, you know, six weeks, some people it's 12 weeks. It really mm. depends. Mm. So yeah. it's, a, it's hard to say you should be having this many calories, if, mm. even if you're like trying to look for their maintenance. So what, I, what yeah. I'd like to do if you're not confident in this area is focus on getting her to, you know, honor her hunger. So are you hungry? Like if you're hungry, eat, you know, mm. like mm. if you're, um, if, if you're not eating vegetables, eat vegetables. If you're not getting in protein, just try because we yeah. know in that postnatal space, it's hard with looking after a baby and sleep deprivation. Um, mm. So I hope that answers that question. Yeah, It'll be so I- hard to diet, sorry, Sherelle, under those circumstances. And I think um, what you mentioned earlier, Sherelle, you said you don't feel like you'll want to be in a diet phase straight away. And I think that's because you've put in the work now or earlier to really um, not identify completely with, your physique and you know mm. we've we've put in that mindset work and I think it's really important um to recognize the the mindset work that does have to go into it and obviously it's easier said than done because I haven't had kids yet but professionally it's important you know and if we do plan to have kids it's so important to start mm. to consider a path that doesn't involve how we look because yeah, you know I've been in we, I, you know I've done five shows you've done like 10 shows and it's all about how you look but then to have um, COVID happen and then there's been no show for two years, it's allowed us to really steer away from just focusing on how we look and it's actually really freeing. Doesn't mean it's easy, but it's so beautiful to then be able to focus on our reproductive health, to be able to focus Mm. on our partners and relationships and and everything around us. So I think it's important to highlight that there is a big mindset process and shift that is required, Mm. um, I suppose, to make it a little bit easier. Mm, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I sort of think what you highlighted there as well, Sheridan, is like when it comes to competing and bodybuilding and dieting and figuring out, you know, 20% deficit and all those sorts of things, mm. it's a very masculine way of, of um, managing biofeedback and, and metrics to get a result. And mm. what you described there, how are we going to actually be able to do that? How are we going to be able to approach it when we don't even know what, when your maintenance calories is going to be shifting, what, five, 600 calories a day potentially? Mm. And yeah. then what? So you have to almost like, flick the script and go to more of a feminine way of eating honoring hunger cues and focusing on food quality and protein and just moving your body and just enjoying that mm. time because you're never going to get that time back right and yeah. you hear so much from women that just like oh you know he's grow up so quick and i just could just only imagine if you were worried too much about body composition and fat loss in those first six weeks I just feel a little bit sad about that process. And if we could do the work now, like you said, Danny, and encourage people before you know, okay, one day my body's going to go through this process, you know, and I have to learn to accept and love myself Mm. and not just have a a business built on my body and all those Mm. sorts of things now. So that when you go through that transition, it's not such a hard push Mm. the whole way. Yeah. And one thing I really like, I, I love that because when you when you become pregnant and you know like i said you you've got this audience that you you had prior to pregnancy and you're going to lose some of them like if you guys are, if you guys are coaches and you fall pregnant and you've had this particular look or mm. um, you know audience you're going to lose some of them and it's really hard not to take personally because you're like you know well, because i'm pregnant now i, I suddenly my brain suddenly like I don't know what I knew before and I can't do what I did before and I can't help people the way I helped them before, but it's not personal. Like people are going to follow what they, 
you know resonate with and what um, season of their life that they're in. And it again, hard not to take personally, but just acknowledge your thoughts and your feelings. And that sounds really woo-woo, but just name them, don't become them. And one thing that um, we sort of touched on was weight gain during pregnancy. And this is a really um, interesting area because, you know, Australia sort of follows suit America, the recommendations in terms of how much weight do I gain throughout pregnancy. And the UK, for example, doesn't have any evidence-based recommendations on how much weight you should or shouldn't gain throughout pregnancy, because we know that each woman is very unique. And yes, it's important to have a, it's like talking about BMI, right? So it has its flaws, Mm. but as a general, it's like takes the average of something and says, this may increase the risk of blah, 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 blah. Mm. But it's really daunting going to your midwife appointment or your obstetrician appointment. And they like, they just look at you like a number and you step on the scale and they're like, they might be like, if you've, if you've got a bad one, oh, well, you've gained a bit too much. And that's like oh, God. awful. It's an awful feeling mm. for women. So what I want to say to that is, you know, the maximum recommendation of how much weight you should gain throughout pregnancy is roughly around 15.8, 15.9 kilos, 16 kilos in Australia, right? But if you're gaining 20, 25 kilos, look at your your behaviors. Like, am I eating well? Like, can I, can I try and, you know, improve my diet? And in the first trimester, that's going to be really hard because mm. that, like I said, the thought of protein and vegetables is ugh, like yuck. <laughs> bread, like potatoes, burgers is generally what you're going to want. <laughs> And am I being as active as I can? And if that means just going for a walk, try not to focus too much on the number um, because it's not always a true reflection of, you know, your risk for certain things. Some women Mm. will gain more and have a perfectly healthy pregnancy. So Mm. try not to let that play too much on you as well. Yeah. And you did a fantastic post about that the other day in regards to sort of weighing and having your rights to sort of say whatever you wish throughout your pregnancy. And I think, you know, what you've highlighted just today, which is just awesome, is just you can't generalise this sort of information because it really does depend. Like I know we say it depends a lot, but it really depends (laughs) when you're pregnant. And I just can't stress that enough because I think Mm. people that, um, you know, especially a lot of our audience may not have had children as well may not um and I had no idea before I came in midwife right about some Mm. of the complexities that our body goes through so you Mm. really don't know what you don't know and something that Danny you said is you don't have to know either it's okay it's just about referring out and asking the question of well who does know if my clients are having these issues or if I'm having these issues if I'm going through these things who can I speak to and who's available to help me yeah absolutely for sure (sighs) What a breath of fresh air you are. This yeah. is this has been great. And as you said, I feel like we can touch on another whole episode, but um, there's been so many key takeaways here and um, mm. it's just been awesome to have you on. Yeah. Thank you. I hope my severely sleep-deprived brain <laughs> gave you guys a few nuggets to take away, but thank you for having me. I really appreciate you guys reaching out. No, we've loved having you on, Sheridan. And for our followers um, that don't know you or don't know where they can find more about you uh where can they um mostly instagram so sheridan sky fit um i have actually released a podcast too which i've been a bit slack on given that i've just given birth but it's called um barbells to babies so i think you can imagine it's a lot of you know your pre and postnatal stuff so Mm. um, a few episodes on there that might be really helpful for coaches Mm -hmm. as well um but yeah 
Amazing. And definitely, definitely a podcast that's well needed um, in the podcasting Mm -hmm. space. So thank you again for um, coming on the show and sharing your expertise and your personal experience as well. It's been such a good episode and, you know, we look forward to potentially having you back on in the future. For sure. Thanks. Thanks, Sheridan.